Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. My name is Tim Robertson. I'm the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as The Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it going. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start out as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook, which is the handbook for the training program in the ALPO. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find the ALPO on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And also this here podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what, the, what you hear in the podcast and never want to miss another episode, please subscribe. And now, episode 141, and we're going to have a continuation of a previous content, uh, conversation about radio astronomy. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have again on our podcast a return visitor. Uh, he was on a few weeks ago to talk about uh, radio astronomy, and we're very pleased to have Steve Zikas back to uh, talk about the 20-meter radio telescope that's available through the University of North Carolina Skynet and Green Bank Observatory. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Uh, thanks, Tim, for that introduction. Uh, the 20-meter radio telescope is indeed a great observational learning tool because it's a real professional radio telescope. Because of this, its use has my, has my greatest radio astronomy interest. While it can be used for solar system observing, I'm going to discuss its abilities for all observations. Knowing how it operates for all observations not only helps to understand its use for solar system observing, but also its capabilities in stellar and galactic radio astronomy. Now, how can someone get access to a 20-meter radio telescope? Well, there are requirements. Um, so one must have access to an organization with an account. Uh, otherwise, a person has to purchase their own account. Uh, SARA is one of the organizations using the 20-meter. Um, you have to be a SARA member to use its 20-meter account. You also have to be a U.S. citizen if you want to use the 20-meter radio telescope. 
That requirement on being a U.S. citizen is mandated by the NSF grant. You must also state you will only observe non-man-made astronomical sources and objects and will not provide telescope access to any other individual. So how does the 20-meter telescope operate? Okay. Uh, Well, actually, it's very easy. So uh, a listener can Google this. Skynet observing advice for the 20 meter telescope. And then on the results page, you'll see welcome to Skynet observing advice for the NRAO Skynet 20 meter telescope. Now that web page has a series of screenshots that show the input parameters. And there's three main screens. So I'm going to take the listeners through that. And with that link, they can obviously follow a little later. And that link is also in the show notes if people want to zap on that and uh, follow along too. Okay, great. So the first screen is called the radio observing ad observation screen. It's essentially selecting the object and you click on an object in the sky viewer and the name and coordinates will be entered into the fields below the sky map. The second screen is called the receiver's settings screen. And you'll be choosing either a low or high resolution. So let's start first with the low resolution. The low resolution gives you four choices for a frequency filter. You can do hydrogen one, which has a range of 1355 to 1435 megahertz. And it's a good filter for cutting out most of the interference. There's two options for the hydroxyl molecule, OH1, OH2, and that range is between 1630 and 1750 megahertz. And that too, those two also cut out interference. And then there's the entire range for that particular receiver on the 20 meter, and that's from 1350 and 1750 megahertz. And there's also a checkbox on the screen for pulsar mode. So in the very beginning, if one of your targets were a pulsar and then you check the box, you're going to get a different type of result display that gets into profiling that pulsar. And then similarly for high resolution, you do somewhat the same. And in this uh, case, you get to uh, choose a couple of different frequencies uh, for the spectral lines. And in the third screen, you're going to select path settings. That's what it's called. And there's four types of paths you can choose. You can do track, on, off, which is a type of tracking, daisy, and map. So after you click the save and continue button, it shows a summary of all the inputs. Click submit and then run the observation. It's really that easy to operate. There are some nuances, but it should be apparent after a few minutes of reviewing the options. You can't break the 20 meter radio telescope. The hardest part is interpretation. So one can see the results of the observation on a public data site for the 20 meter telescope. You can Google search this uh, for those who don't have access to the 20 meter. Search for Skynet log of 20 meter results 
and that'll bring you to a web page result called Welcome to Skynet, finding the NRAO Skynet 20 meter data. Find the link at the top for log of 20 meter results, and that'll take you in to, to see the types of uh, observations you can make. So let me summarize real quick what I've been saying and suggest some tips. Uh, if you're accessing the 20 meter radio telescope through an organization's account, you wanna be mindful not to consume the entire budget with, for example, RASTAR scans without their permission. Now, RASTAR scans are basically mapping the radio object. They're very time consuming to make, at least 18 minutes of observing time or more. Uh, so they can eat a budget fairly quickly. Uh, once you log on, into the 20 meter, you're going to see a My Observatory tab at the top, and you're going to select the radio observing choice. The other is optical. Um, and if you're new, um, you might want to just try a second or a few seconds. That's enough to generate an observation uh, for a learning experience. Or if you don't want to actually make an observation yet, you can just go to existing observations and see what others have been doing for a particular target. Um, but if you're going through that selection, so you wanna add a new observation, and as I said, you can select the target from the globe that's present on the screen, or you can input your own. If you got a name or just coordinates that you wanna enter, uh, you can do so. Um, and follow the directions I provided early on configuring the receiver to a low or high resolution and then select your path option. After submission, wait for the object observation to complete. So if the object's up in the sky at the time of inputting, um, there shouldn't be a, a very long queue. You can see your results in a, a few minutes. And whether it's day or night, you can do a radio observation. Uh, go back then to the main page and you can find your observation. You'll double click the ID that's been assigned to that observation, or you can just go to any other observation on that uh, web page. Um, when you click, click the ID, you'll be taken to a screen for National Radio Astronomy Observatory. It's a link that then takes you to your results. Now, you, you mentioned using a, the budget. So is that you're basically buying telescope time on the 20 meter? That's correct. Okay. And, and it's not that expensive either. They have different levels that you could have the telescope, or is everybody at the same level of uh, budget? I'm not sure if uh, they're all at the same level. Um, I think off the top of my head, so don't quote me, I think it's about um, $300 or so for maybe five hours of observing time. Okay. Now, uh, the University of North Carolina, a Skynet program, uh, they have some free classes uh, on their website. And one of them is, I believe, Skynet Observing. And uh, in that um, free class, although there is a fee for administrative fee for grading it, uh, it's not too costly. I think it's about $60. But within that Skynet account, they do give you, uh, within that Skynet teaching program, training program, they do give you a personal account. Uh, it definitely includes the optical part. I'm not sure about the radio part, but um, 
uh, one of the astronomy clubs I, I used to uh, uh, be a member of locally, they had both the Skynet optical and the uh, radio um, um, uh, accounts. So okay. there's a, a variety of ways. And, and um, I think even if you go the uh, uh, personal um, route, uh, that it'd still be affordable. In fact, when I was with the local astronomy club, they mentioned you can either use theirs or you can get your personal account. So I'm going to assume it's uh, no matter what you try, it's in a um, uh, affordable range on par with, you know, buying a, a an affordable radio astronomy kit. Great. Now, it sounds like anyone can learn to make valuable observations to the scientists, right? Uh, yes. It just takes, as I said, the hardest part of radio astronomy is interpreting what you're doing. Mm. Okay. Uh, but yes, I mean, if you, uh, if you, um, uh, take the time to learn, um, you can, um, learn some very interesting, um, science and make some contributions. Great. Uh, so where are the observations stored? Um, so, uh, the, for the 20 meter, all the observations are in stored in a database for review by new observers, students, and professionals. Um, and I believe um, uh, you're going to post those uh, links. Yes. Or, yeah. And, uh, but let me uh, just say that um, I like to bring the listener's attention uh, to the great work that Dr. Reichardt is doing in making the 20 meter accessible to students and guiding them to make professional quality observations. He oversees that University of North Carolina Skynet uh, webpage. He has a website and some professional papers published. Uh, and I'd like to uh, tell the listeners what these three papers are so that they can search them on the internet. Uh, they're freely available and then read them to see the level of sophistication that you can um, uh, perform on observations with the 20 meters. So the first paper I like to, to bring to the listener's attention, it's called The Fading of Cassiopeia A and Improved Models for the Absolute Spectrum of Primary Radio Source, Radio Calibration Sources. That's a 2017 paper. It's by A.S. Trotter and Dr. Reichardt and group. The second paper is called Skynet's Suite of Processing Algorithms for Single-Dish Radio Telescopes. That's from 2018. That's by John Martin, Dr. Reichardt, and group. And then the third paper is Skynet Algorithm for Single-Dish Radio Mapping, Contaminant Cleaning, Mapping, and Photometering Small-Scale Structures. That's a 2019 paper, also by John Martin, Dr. Reichardt at Al. So one can observe variable radio objects like Cassiopeia A, that's a supernova remnant, as well as pulsars and masers that change with time. Uh, you can measure flux values of these objects as they change with time. So being in the ALPO, is there any solar system objects to observe that have long-term frequency? Uh, uh, Yes. Um, obviously, there's the sun and the moon, and those are easy targets. 
So one might want to follow changes in the quiet and active sun. Uh, solar eclipses are interesting to observe in radio. The observational data files also offer something about the radio temperature of the object. That is the temperature of the object at a, the radio frequency. I would recommend learning first, though, how to measure these values for the moon, as there is some variability understand. But besides the sun and the moon, uh, observing Jupiter is possible. Now, let me stress that when you observe Jupiter in the 20 meter, it's a different type of observation than if you're observing it with the Radio Jove kit. Um, that's because they operate on two different frequencies. So if you want to listen to Jupiter storms, you need the Radio Jove kit for that. But it is possible with a different frequency to observe Jupiter on the 20 meter telescope. Um, so the observations uh, depend on what receivers attached attached to the 20 meter scope. It's usually uh, L-band, mm -hmm. uh, which I've been describing. Um, uh, and But sometimes they put an X-band frequency uh, installed for short periods of time. So is there instruction manual on how to do these observations? Uh, unfortunately, not very good instruction oh, manuals. No. Uh, there are, yeah, there, there, are the, there are the simple instructions on the Skynet site, which I've um, referred the listeners to and that you're, you're going to post those, um, uh, those links. Uh, but something, um, uh, but when it gets to selecting the best input parameters and interpreting the data, uh, that's where the protocols are, are not as good. Um, so to help out, you can read some professional papers as an aid. And I think the Dr. Reichardt's papers are the most valuable as they're specific to instructing on how to use the 20 meter scope in much more greater detail than the instructions posted on the Green Bank Observatory site. Now, as I learn how to use the telescope myself, I usually, I usually create some instructional materials, at least to the extent that I understand them. I'm the section coordinator for the Society of Amateur Radio Astronomers Analytical Section, and I've posted some materials there as PowerPoint presentations. So if the listeners want to see those, you can do a Google search for the SARA Radio Astronomy Analytical Selection, and then select the appropriate web page. And then on the analytical section uh, website, you'll find some presentation demos for the Cassiopeia A observation program, the 20 meter pulsar observation program, and the astronomical Maser uh, observation program. Uh, so Tim, you've, you've got a great collection of podcasts, and Thank I you. would encourage any listener with a radio astronomy background to contribute to your pat podcast co collection if their radio astronomy knowledge is specific to solar system observing. Great. Now, in radio astronomy, what, what is your main focus for your personal observations? Um, I like using the 20 meter telescope because it's a large telescope. Imagine right. 20 meters of diameter on a, a dish. That's very powerful. It's a professional yeah. scope. And what objects do you like to observe? Um, well, every year I've been trying to observe something new. 
so I started out um, asking fellow SARA members, what are some good objects to observe? Uh, that's where um, uh, we thought of the Cassiopeia observing program because that is a supernova rem remnant. It's a very bright radio object, but it's decreasing with time, the radio flux. So it varies. So I think with anything in astronomy, it's always interesting to observe those objects that vary with time so you can see how they change with time. Pulsars, another year I, I looked into understanding how the pulsar mode worked on the 20 meter. Pulsars also slow down with time. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, pulsars have always fascinated me. It's just... Yeah, they're... They're, they're, uh, they're amazing objects. <laughs> and then another interesting object is something called an astronomical maser. And you can use the hydroxyl filter on the 20 meter to observe them. What, what, is likewise, a, what is a maser? Uh, very similar to laser, but the M stands for microwave instead of L being light. Okay. So that's another interesting problem. Um, I'm also learning, and it's somewhat challenging because there's no instructions, <laughs> but I like to learn a little bit more about how to obtain an actual, um, an actual temperature um, uh, observation of a planetary object or the moon, for example. So I'm still learning about that, how to do that properly. Um, I can get an observation. I could get the observation, but there's all sorts of things that get the actual temperature. You've got to look at the base frequency. You've got to look at the calibration frequencies. So there's all things to actually get a, a um, proper value for the temperature. So it's a bit challenging there, challenging there, and that's what I'm working through at the moment. Good. And this once again proves that amateur astronomers are, can do actual science, which is fascinating and amazing. And I love that about this hobby. Uh, yes. So it's just so much to choose from. Yeah. Well, Steve, thanks for coming on talking about the 20 meter telescope. And I hope we get other people interested in radio astronomy. And if anyone out there uses Radio Jove or Super Sid or the ra uh, radio meteor observers, they can bring those to the podcast or contact you and maybe get involved with Sarah as well. And hopefully, I know I'm on the board of the Alpo. We are discussing starting up a provincial uh, me um, uh, radio telescope section. So. I think I'm talking to the person who would probably be the coordinator of that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see what happens in, in the future, but this is really interesting. It's a subject we haven't talked too much about on the podcast. And I really want to thank you for coming on, Steve. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank Steve Jacques for coming on and talking to us about the 20-meter telescope. Get out there and uh, try some of that observing. It sounds very interesting. We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. 
And we are also available on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, Spotify, and also now on our new YouTube channel. Go over to YouTube, subscribe to the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers YouTube channel, and you're going to be treated with podcasts and some live events that are coming up in the very few months. So enjoy that. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month, where you will receive one year's membership, the Oppo, and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for the continued generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for the Patreon, as well as the link to the Oppo, is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net, or you can get, get me on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>